Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. What does it mean when a company's share price falls to cheap prices and executive insiders don't buy more? My question is, how much of your portfolio should you put into like ETFs and mutual funds? I had a question about Dutch Bros. It's going to be a new IPO. And provides unbiased answers. I think the bet on the raw materials that go into electric cars are going to be far better than the electric car producers. Invest Talk across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to our latest edition of the Invest Talk. Uh, Invest Talk, and I'm excited to have you this Thursday, April 28, 2022. I'm Justin Klein, and uh, this is the hour that I have with you, our listeners, to really go over all of the um, important aspects of investing and managing your money. Uh, there's a lot to it. And I know it can be challenging. And ultimately, my goal is to make it as simple as possible. It's definitely not simple. But you can make it simple, simpler, as to say that, when you're able to get rid of the emotions. You're never going to get rid of all of them. But let's say manage your emotions and focus on the facts focus on the way the world is versus the way you hope it might be. And that's what I'm trying to give you each and every day, which is the facts as I see them in front of me, using my 20 plus years of investment experience, give you some perspective and help you understand what their reality is. And this is a lesson I learned early on. And it's natural human emotions to view the world and view your investments uh, and think that's going to make a difference uh, and push the world towards the way you want it to be. The reality is that the world is going to be the way it is. And you have to invest accordingly. So many people, they, they curve fit things to their narrative of the, the way the, they hope things turn out, but hope is not a strategy. It's the old saying strategy is investing for today, investing for reality. And in a world where, frankly, it's very politicized, polarized, it's very easy to get caught up in that. And my job as a professional investor, my job on the show is to 
invest for our clients on the uh, on the KPP side. And then on this side is to give you the advice that will help you make good, solid decisions based on what the true reality of the situation is. And put the odds in your favor. So it's kind of like, you know, a lot of people think investing is like gambling. And I don't think that's true. Uh, But there is putting odds in your favor. If you're doing it right, just like in the casino, if you're counting cards, for example, you can put the odds in your favor and over time you're going to come out ahead. Same thing with investing. Applying the right data, right decision-making process, it's kind of like counting cards. It's putting the odds in your favor. Never going to be right 100% of the time. Just like when you're counting cards at the blackjack table, you're not winning every hand. But over time, more often than not, you're going to come out ahead. And so we're going to help you look at the market as a whole, longer term trends, pros and cons of particular investment opportunities, whether that's a particular stock, an asset class, whatever it is. I'm here to operate with my mission statement, which is always independent thinking and shared success so that your questions are answered just simply about with with the facts that are here that are in front of us not hope not fear not greed but reality and i'm going to present it to you all without bias so i encourage you to contact me with your finance and investment questions and when you do that get to shape this show to your liking so you can interact with interact with me right now during our live stream program from four to five pacific time or you can leave a question on an anytime voice bank either way the number never changes it's eight at eight ninety nine chart so let's get right to our first listener question now. Hi, Stephen, Justin. This is Paul in Alabama. I had a question for you about deep sea drilling for oil and natural gas. It looks like that industry has just been hammered over the past several years. There's been a lot of bankruptcies and consolidation going on, and I haven't seen a lot of talk about that area. I'm just wondering if this is uh, something like companies like Transocean, where I should keep them on a watch list and possibly pick some up on the cheap and just sit on it for a few years and see if the industry recovers. Interested in all your thoughts? Yeah, well, the the oil industry in general uh, had been uh, on the decline, and some companies did go uh, bankrupt. Uh, Transocean, uh, I believe, is one of those, yeah. And there are others within the offshore oil industry that also went bankrupt, uh, actually, no, I, th- I don't think Rig did, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. Let me pull this up here. Because I've, I've looked at a lot of these uh, offshore drillers, and it's a this is the area of the oil market that is going to be the most volatile. Why? Because offshore drilling is very expensive, and they are they have a high uh, their their margins move more dramatically uh, with oil prices than most companies because of that high cost of production. And that's why over the past you know handful of years, rig has been continuing to lose money. Now, a lot of their competitors went bankrupt and they got rid of a lot of debt. And actually, that's a good thing. And I think Transocean, yeah, it looks like they did not go bankrupt. They were on the brink, but never did. And 
that means they still have a pretty, pretty tough balance sheet compared to their competitors. So I like what you're looking at longer term. If oil prices stay elevated, you're going to get a stronger lever when it comes to the price. And you see this uh, in the depths of uh, COVID, this was under a dollar per share. Now we're up to $4 per share and it is looking relatively bullish, but I like some of the other names within the offshore drilling market. So I like what you're looking at, what you're thinking about, especially if oil prices are going up uh, and you think they're going to go to 120, 150, maybe $200 per barrel. Uh, your, the offshore drillers are going to do very, very well. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this question. Are you an investor who might reap the benefits from a 529 education savings plan? Well, money invested in 529 plans grow tax-free and investors do not pay capital gains tax uh, if they spend the money on qualified educational expenses. But they can be quite complicated, so we're going to take a look at that and uh, really dive into uh, the details, hopefully. In addition, we're going to look at the GDP number that came out today and dig into those details. And then the Permian Basin, an area of uh, a lot of shale drilling, but it's not output there is not increasing as much as you would think with oil prices so high. Uh, and going back to politics, a lot of people will say, oh, well, that's because of a current administration. And uh, I think there's some blame there, but most of the blame uh, is actually on workers, lack of workers, materials, and cash to invest. And so it's always important to kind of dig into the details and see what the trends are and how that might impact the oil market overall. And then lastly, natural gas. We'll get into that market and get an update on where things are moving there. But ultimately, I want to hear from you. 8899 chart, 8892 Now, we had the S&P up 103 points today. Nice rebound after this uh, pretty big sell-off over the past week or so. And this is on the back of some uh, pretty decent earnings announcements from the likes of uh, PayPal and some of the beaten down tech names definitely got a nice bounce here. And if you look at the breakdown of growth versus value, growth outperformed today. Uh, and it was a nice little snapback. And I think what I'm starting to see is with the GDP number uh, coming out weaker than expected, you, you, I think you're starting to get a sense that the that the that rates might have topped. Um, and I think we're very close to that. And if that's the case, then you're probably going to get a near term rally in growth versus value. Um, and that's what you should typically expect if there is a, a decline in rates uh, and the Fed does pivot and they start walking back some of their 10 in 10 rate hike um, expectations they built into the market. So remember the Fed meetings next week, and that's going to be a big, a big new, a big event to see what policy is going to look like going forward. Are they going to raise 50 basis points or 75? I think it's probably going to be 50. It's more about QT, how much uh, decline in the balance sheet that they will, they will go for um, and how the market will react to that. Uh, but definitely an oversold bounce today. You still had some big tech wrecks. Teladoc, for example, is down 40% today. Another example of a money losing, money burning company, no matter how much, how bullish you are on telehealth, 
the end of the day, this is not an environment where you want to own companies that are burning so much cash. And Teladoc is, is just one of those. The, the, the tech stocks that actually got a bounce today, those are companies that actually make a profit. Now, the profits may be, uh, growth may be a lot lower than you've seen recently. Uh, and PayPal is a good example. PayPal had revenue growth of 7% year over year. That's down from 31% in the first quarter of 2021. Um, and earnings are down 28%. So you saw, uh, but you saw that get a bounce. Why? Because they still make money at least. Uh, and that's where you're gonna get most of the bounces, companies like that. Now we have good news for Invest Talk listeners that enjoy hearing unbiased answers to caller questions at a faster pace. Well, we have posted an all new April rapid fire hour with 30 caller questions. It's available now as a free podcast download. You can head over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play to check those out. And now uh, the Invest Talk phone lines are open. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes. I have a question for you about Amazon. So your questions keep coming. Question about PE ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance. If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends. Your standard daily chart typically goes back one year. No question is too simple. Wanted to ask about Teladoc. And each question is an important part of the podcast. My wife has a role over 401k from a previous employer. I was curious if this is eligible to be used to do a backdoor Roth. Steve and Justin are fearless. That's fairly inexpensive for this kind of explosive growth. The problem here is that you're picking a leveraged ETF. Tell your friends and family members about InvestTalk. You've been instrumental in my understanding how this market works. Don't forget to call InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. I'm just wondering what you think about Lockheed Martin uh, as far as next two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. I appreciate it. I'll be listening for an answer. Thank you. All right. Looking at LMT Lockheed Martin, and they've gone up uh, nicely since the war in Ukraine because we're spending money on, on, on military equipment to send over to Ukraine. And a lot of that is made by Lockheed Martin. So there's uh, been a nice boost there. What's interesting is earnings expectations over the next couple of years are are pretty much flat. 2021 made $27.96. So it's a decline 4% this year and then go up 6% next year, which, you know, that's about a 1% increase each year, but probably less than that. Uh, you know, if, if you're if you're annualizing those, um, you know, over those two years. So still very low growth. Um, and I still kind of stick to what I said before the war, even though I was a bit wrong on you know, saying that uh, we would not have a lot of kinetic wars in the future because most of it will be cyber, uh, economic, etc. cetera. Uh, and I was wrong about, about this particular one, but I think this also shows that I was right in some ways that Hey, we're not getting deeply involved in this in a big, big way. We're not sending troops, et cetera. And so I still believe that longer term, it's going to be tough for Lockheed Martin to, to grow. 
uh, and most of the money on military is going to move more towards uh, cyber spending, cybersecurity, uh, and we're going to fight wars on the economic front more than the, the battlefield. And so I'm not a huge fan of Lockheed, especially after this move. Now we're moving into a break. Don't go anywhere. I'm here taking your calls live here on the Best Talk at 888 chart Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Now, I focused the point today is based on the story behind this question. Are you an investor who might reap the benefits from a 529 education savings plan? And this is a great article. It's uh, from Morningstar. It's linked over on our site. And you can get it on Morningstar.com as well. But it's a, it's a really interesting article. And, and, and remember, 529 plans are a way to save for educational expenses. And um, in the, the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, there was some changes to this where it allows you to apply it to more, um, more than just normal universities, vocational schools, etc. There, there was more uh, ways to, for your child to spend it. So that's a good thing. Um, but when it comes to tax incentives, that's the big question is, should you invest in a tax or a 529 in your own state or out of state? And a lot of that <clears throat> depends on what state you live in uh, and how good that plan is. Now, at the federal level, it's typically straightforward. Money invested in a 529 plan grows tax free. You don't pay tap capital gains on it. And if you spend that money on qualified educational expenses. Now, this is a bigger benefit for those that make a lot of money, right? If you make over $517,000 per year, well, your long-term capital gains rate is 20%. So the impact for you on the federal level is a lot higher than say, uh, those that earn less than 83,000 per year, married couples, at least filing jointly, they don't have capital gains taxes on long-term capital gains. So the benefit there, you're not getting a benefit um, for having the money in a 529 plan. Okay. And then if you're in between that, obviously you're taxed at kind of that 15% rate. Um, so understand that tax benefit on the federal level. Now, when it comes to the state level, depends on what state you live in and what your marginal tax rate is. And if you get a benefit from uh, putting money into the state uh, that you live in, in the 529 plan, the state you live in, or are you in what's called a tax parity state, which means <clears throat> you don't get a special write-off just because it's in your state. It could be in any state. Those are Arizona, Arkansas, Kansas, Minnesota, Missouri, Montana, and Pennsylvania. So you can, if you're in Arizona, you could uh, invest in an Arizona 529 plan, but your tax benefit will be just the same as if it was out of state. Okay. Um, <clears throat> now, if you're in California, which I am, Delaware, Hawaii, Kentucky, Maine, or North Carolina, there's no benefit tax-wise for putting money in. It's only on the federal level. Now, there's about 31 states, 32 states, and the District of Columbia that provide a tax incentive by allowing, by, by deducting income on 529 contributions. So 
if you're in one of those 32 states plus the DC area, then it probably makes a lot of sense to invest in your own state's 529 plan. Uh, I'm not going to get a list off those 32 states, but you should probably head over to Morningstar.com. They, they really uh, break this down or on InvestTalk.com. You'll see that link as well. Now, <clears throat> there are six states that have high deduction limits. So Colorado, Illinois, Mississippi, New Jersey, Oklahoma, and Pennsylvania, meaning you if you if you put over a certain amount, uh, then it's not a write off anymore. Um, Arizona, Georgia, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Ohio, and Virginia, those have 4,000 to 8,000 kind of range in their deduction limits. So it, it definitely varies state by state. Now, there are certain states that offer a tax credit, which is interesting. So it's not just a write-off, but it's a credit towards your state income taxes. And that would be Indiana, Minnesota, Oregon, and Vermont. So those vary, but uh, it, it's really nice if you're if you're living in one of those states. It's not just a tax write-off, but it's a tax credit. So that's pretty cool. Now, 15 states do not offer state-specific tax incentives, either because there's no income tax in that state, or the state doesn't offer any tax benefit on 529 contributions. So that's 15 states overall. Now, what states are the best? What states have the best 529 plans? Say you are in one of those states where there's not a great tax benefit, like here in California, by, by investing in a, a state one. Well, Illinois, Utah, Michigan, those are the highest gold-rated uh, 529 plans. Uh, Silver-rated for Morningstar would be Arkansas, sorry, Alaska, Georgia, Maryland, Missouri, New York, Oregon, here in California, Minnesota, Nevada, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. Those, those are the, probably the ones you want to look at if you are uh, looking to invest in a 529 plan and it's not going to be within your state. So um, <clears throat> it's, it's a, still a great tool. On the federal level, that's that great. That, that's the biggest benefit for, for most people, especially if you're in, if you're making over 80 something thousand dollars per year uh, and you are in that at least 15% long-term capital gains rate level. Uh, and if you're over 500,000, you definitely want to take advantage of this if you can. So there's an overview there and I encourage you all to head over to Invest Talk and find the link and check that out. Now we're going to a break. My phone lines are open. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think 
in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. Invest Talk is here to help. And when you download the free Invest Talk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open 888 99 Chart. Hey guys, this is Tom from Minnesota. Hey, just giving you a buzz on uh, AT&T, ticker symbol T. Just curious on this. I've been listening to you guys for two, three years. I know you guys have this or had it in your portfolios for other customers of yours. I've had it now for a while. I've got maybe roughly a thousand shares and this is kind of my fun money stuff. I have other stocks uh, in it as well, but this one, I just, it's almost like an addiction, this thing. I just, I really like the company. It's making money. The PE is super low, but it just kind of keeps going down but I just like the company. So I'm just curious as to what your guys' thoughts on that stock. Love the show. I'll look forward to your answer. Bye now. All right, looking at AT&T, and we, we did own this for clients. We don't, we haven't owned it for a while. Um, you know, broke technical support and everything, so we, we kind of moved off of it and, and found better opportunities. And uh, I think a lot of the decline over the past, let's call it year, was uncertainty around this uh, spinoff of Time Warner into uh, the new, what is it, uh, Time Warner Discovery uh, business. And 
Now AT&T is a pure play, pure play telecom provider. And I think it's undervalued. Uh, and the chart is starting to definitely get a lot more bullish now, kind of hanging right around that 200 day moving average, which it really hasn't been doing for quite some time. And so uh, I, I, we think it's undervalued. I think it's a uh, fair value is closer to 25 to $28 per share. Now it's trading at 19 and change. And they did cut their dividend because they had lost a, a big piece of revenue with uh, with a Time Warner spinoff. But now there's a, a lot less uncertainty. A lot uh, a lot of people maybe didn't want to own um, the spinoff. And now you don't have to worry about that going forward. You know what the dividend's going to be. Uh, they pay down some debts. So the dividend's going to be more consistent. They're going to be able to uh, plow cash flow uh, back into the business to grow, uh, maybe buy back shares again, etc. So uh, I think, uh, you know, it's starting to come back on our radar. Let's just say that. Uh, I haven't bought it yet, but definitely on the radar. So that's AT&T. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on the GDP report. And I think this is important to understand the details. A lot of people get caught up in the headlines. And it's really important to get some context here. Now, GDP, gross domestic product, dropped 1.4% on an annualized basis in the first quarter. Now, that's on a quarter over quarter figure. That's not on a year over year. Okay. So, when you hear, oh, the economy contracted, yes, it did on a quarter over quarter, but typically you're looking at year over year. And year over year, it still was up 3.6%. So understand that. But that still is down significantly from 6.9% quarter over quarter in the fourth quarter of last year. Okay. And year over year, down from 5.5 to 3.6. So you are seeing an economic deceleration. And based on you know what you compare it to, then you get either a shrinkage or a modest increase. Remember, the devil's in the details here. Don't, don't always buy into the, the headlines. Now, GDP, one, one of the big reasons that GDP was lower and was weaker than forecasts was because of exports. Uh, net, uh, net imports were deeper in the negative territory because exports fell 5.9% while imports rose 17.7%. And here's a good lesson for you. Why did that happen? The dollar. The dollar is very strong because of monetary policy. And that is one of the big drivers, not only just higher interest rates, you know, dampening some uh, borrowing and economic activity, but a stronger dollar makes our products more expensive for those that uh, are trying to buy our goods and services. So really, government typically wants a weaker dollar. They like a weaker dollar. Uh, but that's a big reason why exports fell that much. And imports, they rose 17.7 because guess what? Those foreign products and services are cheaper now for us here in the U.S. So net exports generated a 3.2% drag on headline GDP. Now, there was a 0.8% annualized drop in business inventories as well that also subtracted. And a big reason was because, and I, I know business owners that uh, that have products, because they were trying to import. Remember the supply chain issues that left in the fourth quarter of last year? Well, that made inventories go up because everyone just kept ordering. They said, we want product. We want product. Well, after the Christmas season, all of that kind of 
settled out a little bit and, and the supply chain issues were not as bad. And a lot of people, a lot of these companies got all the inventory that was sitting on ships. And so there was an excess of inventory, the big inventory build in the fourth quarter. That was one of the reasons why the fourth quarter had such a good uh, a growth number. And so that was a drag in the first quarter. Now, personal consumption grew 2.7%. That's up from 2.5% at the end of last year. So the consumer actually was a bit stronger overall. And what's underappreciated is business investment. rose 9.2%. And that's up from 2.9% in the previous quarter. Why? Because we are onshoring manufacturing in a big, big way. It's not being discussed. And it needs to be because this is a big economic positive. A lot of people are getting caught up in recession calls and higher interest rates, et cetera. But this is a big, big positive. We're onshoring manufacturing in a big, big way. So um, this is that, that was kind of the, the long and short of what this was all about. And uh, overall, uh, while inflation remains relatively high, the economy is still growing year over year. Maybe not quarter over quarter, but year over year. Let's go to Andrew in San Clemente. He wants to talk about real estate. Yeah, hey, Justin. Um, I purchased uh, my condo back in uh, 2010 when generally there was a, a minimal way to complete a, a real estate transaction. Um, mm-hmm. I'm getting ready to contact my the, the agent that helped me purchase the unit, but uh, I just uh, there's it seems like there's a lot more ways to sell uh, real estate uh, nowadays, and I'm just wondering what your thoughts are uh, of the new companies that are out there, kind of like a Redfin or a Open door, direct buyers. What are, you, what are your thoughts on on those companies? This place is selling real estate. Yeah, well, there's nothing wrong with getting a uh, getting a bid from those uh, those i buyers, uh, but they are pulling back big from the market, and and uh, I think. Uh, they they do make mistakes uh, in their algorithm and it's shown and that's why kind of Zillow pulled back from what they were doing. It's shown that they they too can um, can overpay uh, no matter how great your algorithm is. And so maybe you're a beneficiary of that. And so um, there's nothing wrong with that um, if, if you think an iBuyer would be a good way to go. Now, I wouldn't use them to list your property. Um, I just don't think that's, I, I would beat your uh, realtor down on the commission. I would say that. Um, and if you need help with that more directly, give me a call. I'm here in Laguna, so I can I can help you with that. Um, and so uh, I would still go with a realtor. I think they're going to give you uh, the best opportunity to uh, get the highest price. Um, but getting a bid from an iBuyer uh, before you sign on and listing it on MLS uh, would be not a bad thing. You know, your realtor should be able to give you a, a competitive market a CMA report to look at what's sold recently. Now, markets changed over the past few weeks, so that's certainly uh, true. But uh, if the iBuyer is going to buy a lot more, buy for a price a lot higher than that, then I would uh, I would go with that. Um, but I wouldn't list it with uh, something like Zillow or anything like that. Okay, appreciate it. No problem. Let's go to Brian in San Mateo. Wants to look at Ally. Hey, Justin, how are you today? I'm doing pretty well. You know, just uh, trying to trying to deal with this uh, this crazy market. Uh, it's it's uh, interesting and, and exciting. And, and you're looking at Ally, which has been in a downtrend here. And uh, are you looking to buy it or 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 uh, do you own it? I own it. I own it. A small percentage of my portfolio, I, I got in a couple of days ago, but I wanted your take on it as far as uh, medium to long term and what you thought fair value was. Sure. 
So this is Ally, and the problem here is their their cash flow is negative. You might look at the earnings, and you say, okay, well they're they're earning a lot more, uh, a lot of money, uh, but their cash flow is pretty negative. Now they're buying back shares, so that's a positive. Um, I don't love the technicals. I don't like the downtrend that it's in. Uh, I don't love banks right now uh, because the economy is weakening. And they've been really big in the automotive space. And that's where I think they're over-earning. Because of the lack of inventory in the auto space and the high used car prices, they're, they're basically not losing any money on any of their car loans. Because if they don't pay, you just repossess it. And because used car values are up, then they're able to sell it uh, in wholesale market well above what their uh, their loan is. And so they're probably actually making money uh, when, when typically they're taking some sort of a loss there. And so a lot of these auto lenders are seeing overinflated earnings. Now, if you think that car used car prices are going to stay relatively high, then then yes, uh, it'll, it'll stay up here. Um, but I'm not a fan of it. I don't like the technicals. I don't like that uh, underlying situation with the used cars. I think that will that will abate. You're already seeing used car values uh, drop over the past couple of months, especially with higher rates. Um, and you're going to see inventory swell, uh, maybe not to boring levels, but more normal levels. And I think they're over earning at this point. So uh, not a name that I would own uh, longer term because I don't love the profitability and the, the cash flow situation. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Richard in Santa Clarita, looking at XBI, which I believe is biotech. Yes. Hi, Justin. Uh, long-term listener and recently been, you know, making calls to the call-in show, so I hope it's okay if uh, you have a listener who calls uh, a few times. Yeah, no problem, of course. And you're looking at XBI. Do you own it or looking to buy it? Uh, I own it right now. Here's, I wondered if my thinking is correct. In listening uh, to the show regularly, there are a few key principles I've learned. For example, it's not timing in the market, it's time in the market. Uh, Steve talks about how important it is for stocks to make money. Don't buy, you know, didn't like to buy stocks that don't make money. And then you really hammer hard on uh, the warnings about storied stocks. Mm-hmm. So, uh, with this XBI, uh, I think I, I don't know where I'd go in terms of trying to figure out what are good biotech uh, companies given mm-hmm. uh, those issues. But I highly believe that the biotech sector is a really good one, you know, for the future, you know, in the, in, in the long term. So my thinking is just get the sector. This is. You know, at least uh, not immediately because this uh, XBI has gone up quite a bit and it's come right back down to where it was almost, you know, during the the COVID uh, issue. Mm -hmm. So would you say, though, XBI uh, long term is a a good place to invest in? Well, the first thing you have to understand about the biotechs in general, they're the original story stocks, right? Before there was the... You know the Teslas of the world and the, uh, the the clean energy companies and the uh, space exploration companies. There were biotechs that were promising cures for cancer and all types of disease. And the issue is that the vast majority of them uh, never get to market. 
uh, it's all the story that they're going through phase one and two and three and, and, and they're going to hit market and it's going to be this huge blockbuster drug. And that certainly happens. Absolutely. But the vast majority of them lose money have negative cash flow and their entire world is about issuing shares, diluting shareholders in order to invest in R&D to finally get to market. And so when money is cheap, well, they don't have to, they can borrow money easier. They don't have to uh, issue as many shares. Uh, and people love the stories. They love the, the, the pie in the sky ideas of, of, of curing disease. Uh, and that's what you saw uh, post COVID. The XBI was at 62 and all the way up to uh, 175 and change. And now it's back down to 76. And so what's most important here is the economic backdrop in a growing economy. When money is abundant, like it was in, in 2020, when uh, there was a lot of stimulus checks and, 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 uh, and government spending, uh, it did very well. Uh, and now that's worn off. And uh, it was the first to kind of peak uh, in January of, of, of last year. And so this is not the name that you want to own uh, in, in especially the near term. And long term, the vast majority of these names, once again, just burn capital and dilute shareholders. So no, this is not something I would own longer term. Um, I agree with you. There is with AI and, and, and computing power and and uh, I do think the next revolution will be in in biotechs, but it's going to be in the companies that know how to operate uh, and, and know how to truly do good research. And there are companies like that uh, that that earn earn money. Um, you know, just look at a good example. This is one of the top tens here. Amgen earned a lot of money for a long period of time. And those are the type of companies you want to to own in the biotech space. I don't want to get lumped in with all of the money losing, money burning um, research R&D uh, biotechs that are destroying shareholder capital. And that's what you're doing if you are buying XBI. So I'm not a fan of it. I would pass on it. And especially in this environment, if you're going to look longer term, look for the companies that pay dividends, have a history of good R&D uh, and actually bringing products to market and, and earning money off of uh, their, their research. So this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And we have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. You've got a portfolio to grow and protect, and this is no time to lose focus. So get your finance and investment questions together and call Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. They're ready with their unbiased answers. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. This is Adam from uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, calling to ask about QS, QuantumScape Corporation, seeing if now is the right time to buy. Thanks so much for everything you do, and uh, hope to hear from you soon. All right, QuantumScape, and this is the name I know Steve liked in the past. Um, I've said in the teens, I think uh, it's worth a, a shot. Very, 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 very high risk. Very. Lose money. This is a money-losing operation, and it's all about the future of 
electric vehicles and solid state batteries and whether their technology can be economical and they can scale. And if they can, I think it's a, it's a big winner. If they can't, it's a huge loser. And uh, I think at these levels, $6 billion valuation, uh, the risk versus reward is at least reasonable. Uh, back when it was $50 per share, eh, just way too, way too expensive. And, and they'd have to, you know, even if they hit it out of park, your, your, your uh, ROI would be not that great. Uh, but at 15, $6 billion val, uh, you know, that's decent. Now, technically, it's uh, definitely found support, nice reversal here. Uh, but that's a, a lot of that has to do with just the growth market uh, getting a bit of reversal today. And, and that could probably sustain itself uh, maybe into the Fed meeting. And maybe this is uh, the market starting to price in. The Fed is not going to be quite as aggressive upon their meeting next week. And that can that could be a lift, but this is a longer term play. This is like saying, "Hey, I want to I want to bet on the technology, um, and I want to do it at a, at a reasonable price." And this is now at a reasonable price. Still need to be a very very small percentage of your portfolio because it could easily not not hit, just like a biotech company. Um, probably a little safer than that, but still not safe at all. So um, yeah, decent price here for um, kind of a lottery ticket. Now let's touch a bit on the Permian Basin, and this is an area where there's expected to be um, the most growth in U.S. production, and this is in of, of oil and natural gas, and this is in the West Texas and southeastern New Mexico region. And one issue that is happening right now is that supply chains are causing havoc, not just uh, in your normal uh, production of uh, physical goods, but also energy. And there's a shortage of workers. Now, U.S. drillers are expected to raise domestic output by about 8% from last year. And by contrast, the last time oil was $100 per barrel, 2014, U.S. production grew 20% year over year. So, the same pricing environment, but the actual production is going to be a lot lower. Production growth is going to be a lot lower. Now, this is the only place in the U.S. Uh, where U.S. production is expected to grow significantly this year. But there are supply chain uh, crunches. For example, there are just simple pieces, casings that are hard to find, um, and workers who are being poached left and right because there's a shortage of workers. A lot of them switched careers during the pandemic. Maybe a lot of them, you know, aren't coming back. And that's kind of what's happening. Entire crews are walking off projects before completions because they're searching for bigger paychecks. And that makes it less economical to drill. And on top of that, public companies are deciding to return more cash to shareholders and investors, which is limiting their growth. Uh, and there's a rapid depletion of the best shale wells because during the pandemic, they didn't invest in, think of it as when you drill a well, you don't have to actually take them. You don't have to take the oil out immediately. You can cap it and wait for a better time to unplug it and basically pull out the, the oil. Not that simple, but it, you know, that's the oversimplification of how it works. But during the pandemic, there weren't even the, the, the general wells that they weren't operating being drilled. They were simply just using the best wells, the cheapest wells that were already, already there. And 
So there's just a lot of backup uh, of issues. And that's why you continue to see higher oil prices because there isn't that supply response. So it's multifaceted when it comes to higher energy prices and why you're seeing higher prices in the gas pump. It's not just because of, of Russia. It's not just because of a, 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 a ban on uh, federal drilling on federal land. A lot of it also has to do with this, this supply constraint within the oil field operations, supply of labor, as well as supply of products, and then supply of capital from the actual EMP companies. So a uh, pretty good quick overview of what's happening there and why oil prices are likely to stay elevated despite the SPR release. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which they can find at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, as well as investtalk.com. And be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. And if you leave your question with your review, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.